This podcast is presented to you by Pastor Jason Burns and Access Church in Lakeland, Florida. For more information, visit access.tv. A few months ago, I was having a normal morning. I woke up, rolled over, and there next to me was my wife, my bride of almost 18 years. But she wasn't laying in bed. She was sitting up with her arms folded like this. And I said, hey, girl. And she looked back at me and said, huh. And I said, how are you? She goes, you know what you did. And I said, I don't, I don't know what I did. And she said to me, where were you last night? And I said, girl, I was right here the whole night. What are you talking about? She's like, I hope it was worth it. I hope she was worth it. Man, have you ever had this moment when your wife had a dream about something you did that you didn't do? My wife wakes up furious at me because I had an affair in her dream. I said, Liz, I was laying here last night. I snored the whole night. I barely even hug girls that are not you. What is wrong? with you. And she was convinced in her mind that it was real. Now she knew the truth, but in that moment, here's what she was living with. She was living with her perceived truth. And it wasn't necessarily truth, but it's what she perceived to be true in that moment. It felt real, but it wasn't actually real. Let me say this to you. There is a monumental gap between our perceived truth and actual truth. And the funny thing is we live in a world where perceived truth has this way of kind of winning the day, doesn't it? Where perceived truth and everyone's opinion tends to rise to the surface. We, we live in a world where there's fake news and it's hard to know what is real news. I'll never forget in 2020, which was such a weird polarizing year that happened in isolation, some story broke. It was one of the big headlines of 2020. And just out of curiosity, I went to two different news websites, one that was right-leaning and one that was left-leaning. And I was just curious how they would respond to this. And the headlines literally said the opposite of each other. Which one is true? How do we know what truth is and how do we know what is perceived truth? And then on top of all of this, now with the rise in propagation of social media, everyone has an opinion. And because everyone has an opinion, everyone thinks that their opinion matters equally to everyone else's. So here's my question to you. As you try to reconstruct and build the kind of faith that will withstand the storms of this life, how do you know what is true and how do you know what is perceived truth? At what is the north star of your life guiding you? Whose voice matters more than any other voice in your life? What is truth? What is absolute truth? Let me give you another question, okay? This is the question underneath that question. What is the foundation on which I will build my life? What, what is the thing that I'm gonna build my life on so that when inevitably the storms of life come as they do, that my life won't be shaken, distraught, destroyed? What is the foundation of my life? And I want to jump ahead and I want to tell you what the end of the message is right now in case you fall asleep or have to leave for some reason. Here it is. I believe that if you are a follower of Jesus, God's word should have the final word in your life, period. It is the foundation. It is the absolute truth. I could say it like this. You will build your life on the wisdom of this world or of the word. And I want you to be a wise person. I want you to live a life full and characterized by wisdom, but you will either choose the wisdom of this world, and let me say this to you, philosophers have come and gone, brilliant thinkers have lived and died, kingdoms have risen, empires have fallen, the world has changed over and over and over again, and the word of God has stayed the same through every generation. So what will you build your life 
upon. Here's the problem. If you were Satan and you knew this, if you knew that God's word never really changed, if you knew that God's word was steady through every season, every generation that has ever lived, wouldn't you do everything you could to attack the credibility of God's word? I think about Genesis chapter one, God creates the world. Genesis one and two, he creates humanity and he puts them in this place called the Garden of Eden. I love this, Eden literally translates from Hebrew to mean pleasure and delight. God creates humanity and he puts them in a place of pleasure and delight and joy and fun. And he says, you can do anything you want, enjoy, subdue the earth, live this big kind of life, just don't do this one thing. And what does Satan do? Now you remember this. We have the Bible, which is like the word of God. They had God. It says in Genesis 2 and 3 that God walked with them and spoke to them in the cool of the day. I love the beauty of this. We have the Bible, which is the written word of God. They had the voice of God speaking to them every single day. And what does Satan do? He shows up, and this is the very first question in all of Scripture, Genesis 3, 1. He says, did God really say? Did God really say? And if you're asking the question, what is truth and what is perceived truth, you are gonna find yourself wrestling with this question over and over and over again. Why? Because you have opinions. And I love that you have opinions. You're opinionated people. And you've got opinions on sexuality and marriage and gender issues. You've got opinions on divorce. You've got opinions on abortion. You pick the topic you got. You've got opinions on all of it. And let me say this to you too. So do I. If you wanna have a political conversation, I'm happy to do that. If you wanna have a, a conversation about social issues, or what, you pick the topic. We all have opinions, but here's what you need to understand. At the end of the day, one word has the final word. And at the end of the day, I don't care what your opinion is, I care what God's opinion is, and that's the only opinion that matters. Can I get a good amen from somebody? That's it. So let me go, let me say it like this. When my opinion doesn't align with scripture, you ready for this? I assume that I am wrong. I am wrong. And so many people in this world, somehow along the way, they've put themselves in the ultimate seat of authority in their life. And what they do is they go to scripture and they take the words of scripture and they bend them and contort them to make it say what they believe. Instead of going to God's word humbly and saying, God, what is your desire? What is your wish? I submit to you. Here's the thing. For generations, people have attacked the word of God. They'll say things like, well, it doesn't line up with science. Yes, it does. Science is humanity trying to catch up to what God has known from the beginning of time. Science changes. I could spend an hour going through an apologetics lesson of all the things that we've learned from scripture. Science doesn't contradict scripture in any way, shape, or form. Science is funny, if you wanna go there for a second. Science changes. Our understanding of the world and the way it works evolves over time. In 1861, Johannes Kepler wrote a book. It was entitled something like 51 uh, Irrefutable Laws from Science that Contradict Scripture. That book is literally in a, in a closet in the Louvre in Paris because all 51 of those incontrovertible truths that he said contradict scripture have all been proven to not be true. Your second grade science book that you learned from many, many, many years ago is probably not being taught today because our understanding of science evolves and changes over time. God's word has remained the same from generation to generation to generation. It is our everything. It is our source, it is our strength. Look what David says in Psalm 119, verse 81. He says, my soul is weak from waiting for you to save me, but my hope is based on what? Your word, like my whole life is built on it. All of my hope, all of my strength, all that I am, all of it comes from having a foundation underneath me that never changes. 
so that when the storms of this life come, and listen to me, they will come after you, you will never fail. We sang a song earlier that said, rain came, wind blew, my life was built on you. Do you know where that comes from? Matthew chapter seven, Jesus is teaching what is maybe the most famous sermon in the history of the world, the Sermon on the Mount. We have it recorded in Matthew six, seven, and eight, right there smack dab in the middle. This is what Jesus says, Matthew seven twenty four. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, okay, so it's not enough to hear them, you have to do the words of God, is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. What does it mean? In the story, he tells about a person who builds their life on a rock and one who builds it on sand. The rain comes and the winds blow against both homes, but the one built on the right thing is the one that was able to withstand the storms. Let me say it to you this way. You will face storms in your life, and I'm not talking about hurricanes. Like, you're Floridians. We, we don't even get out of bed for anything less than a Category 4. Do you know what I mean? Like, you're stronger than you know. But I'm talking about you will face challenges in your life. You will bury loved ones. You will navigate difficult days. You will get terrible diagnoses in your life. You will face some storms in your life. And if you are not careful and fully founded and grounded, those storms that have the, the inevitable way of coming will devastate you. And they have the potential to cause your faith to crumble underneath you. So what do we do? Well, here's the deal. If you wanted, I could spend this whole hour talking about the reasons I believe the Bible is true. But here's what I know. The greatest indicator of whether or not it's true is how it changes and impacts your life. So let me jump to the end and say, here's going to be my challenge at the end today. I want to challenge you to give God's word one year as the final word, the ultimate authority in your life, one year. And at the end of one year, here's my promise. My promise is you will feel different. Your life will be different. You will be walking in the blessing of God. So here's what I need you to do in this next year. I want to give you three attitude changes we need to make towards the word of God. And this is very important. I believe the Bible is the word of God. I really do. Charles Spurgeon said, a Bible that's falling apart often belongs to a person whose life isn't. This is my preaching Bible. I've had this Bible for about 15 years now. It's literally falling apart. I love the word of God. I honor the word of God. This is my favorite Bible. If you look through this Bible, literally every page you flip to, there's, there's notes in the footer and in the, the middle section. There have been many times that I've gone to the Bible needing a message for that week. And I, I look back at things I wrote 10, 12, 15 years ago, and God still continues to speak. We, we read scripture and we think we're reading it, but really the Bible is reading us. It is the word of God alive, sharper than any two-edged sword. It literally cuts through and pierces to the heart of every person who doesn't just read it, but who does what it says. So how do we do it? What do we change? Here's our three attitude shifts that need to happen towards scripture. Number one is we need to approach it with gratitude. How amazing is it that we get the Bible? We get the word of God. I've heard it said, and I don't know who to attribute it to, but don't ever say that God is silent when your Bible is closed. God is always speaking to us. In the book of James, James is the half-brother of Jesus. I wanna read six or seven verses from James today. James chapter one, he says this, don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Here's why we can be thankful. Every good and perfect gift is from above. Everything good in your life is a gift from God, your father. We talked about that last week. It's a gift from God. He is a good God. We should approach him with gratitude. Coming down from the father of the heavenly lights who does not change 
like the shifting shadows. In theology, we call this the immutability of God. God doesn't change, but theologically, we know that God cannot change. He cannot contradict who he is. He cannot lie. He is who he is. He cannot change. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we may be kind of the first fruits of all that he created. What this means is... Jesus stepped into this world. He became flesh and blood for us, died on the cross, rose again from the dead. And part of the reason we know that is because we have the word of God. In the New Testament, in the book of Romans, Paul says it like this. He says, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You want to increase your faith, you start by spending time in the word of God. At the end of the day, God's word has the final word in our life. If you are going to be a follower of Jesus, you should start with gratitude and thanks. Let me give you a challenge. What if for the next year you spent time in the word of God and every single day you approach the word of God and before you even read it, just say, God, thank you that I have your word here with me. Number two, third attitude of the three attitudes that we should change towards the word of God is humility. All right, everybody buckle up for a second. I'm about to step all up on your toes. I think we live in the most arrogant, cocky generation in the history of the world, period. Can I tell you why? I believe the reason that we have the cockiest, most arrogant generation in the history of the world is we have access to more information than anyone else in the history of the world. You can pull your phone out and you can Google search anything about anything you've ever wanted to know about anything. Every book that basically has ever been written has been digitized. You can literally get copies of anything you want. You can learn anything, look up anything, find out anything. You never have to wonder because you can find the answer to all of it. What's happened is, We've allowed this sense of cockiness to kind of invade our spirits. And here's where this plays out. We tend to think that our opinion is the final word. We tend to think that, well, I'm educated, well, I'm smart, well, I know some stuff, and therefore I know better than God. People that do that, what they do is they go to scripture and they do what I call proof texting, which is they take the word of God and they find the verses, they pull them out of context, they contort the verses to make themselves feel better about what they believe instead of going to God with humility and saying, God, at the end of the day, I wanna do what your word says, your word has the final word and my opinion doesn't matter at all. Let me say this to you as your pastor. As your pastor, I've made a decision to not give you Jason's opinion on everything because at the end of the day, at my very best, I'm educated, but at the end of the day, God is sovereign. That means God reigns above all of it. My opinion is secondary or tertiary at best. God's opinion is all that matters. Let's go back to James. James says it like this, James 1, 19 and 20. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Pause here for a moment. James is like, here's what I want you to do. I want you to listen a little better shut your face and relax a little bit. That's the NJV, the new Jason translation. We're still working on it. Hey, listen, I've heard people say, there's a reason you have two ears and one mouth. So you listen more and talk less. I think that's kind of dumb, but the math works out, right? It's like, listen, talk less and be slow, tap the brakes a little bit on getting angry. Here's the reason, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, here's what you do, okay? Get rid of all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent, and here's what I want you to do, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Here's what we do. Humility says, God, your word has the final word. 
Humility says, I have an opinion, but your opinion matters more than mine. Humility says, if my opinion doesn't match yours, your opinion wins and my opinion fades away. Humility says, at the end of the day, I'm going to get rid of all the stuff that leads me on the highway to hell. I'm going to get rid of all of the, all the things that have the tendency of devastating my life. And I'm going to take hold of your word as the final word in my life. Humility says, God, at the end of the day, your, your voice matters more. So here's the question. How do I make my life line up with what God's word says? Instead of contorting it to fit my own personal opinions and desires, no, no, how do I make my life line up? Timothy Keller, a famous pastor, said this, and I love this. If your God never disagrees with you, you might just be worshiping an idealized version of yourself. That hurt a little bit? Like, if God's word never disagrees with your opinion, <laughs> At the end of the day, you put yourself in the throne of God. He is God. You are not. So let me say it one more time. I don't care what your opinion is. It's going to be tough for a moment. I don't care what your opinion on sexuality is. I don't care about your opinion on marriage. I don't care about your opinion on abortion. I don't care about your opinion on racism. I, you pick the topic. I don't care about your opinion on anything. At the end of the day, my opinion and your opinion doesn't matter. And I'm not just saying that about you. I'm not saying you don't have a voice. I'm saying neither do I. My opinion doesn't matter at all. It's God's opinion that matters. One of my favorite pastors, Pastor Chris Hodges, said, the sign of a God-changed heart is that I like for God to tell me how to live. And can I tell you something? I don't like for anyone to tell me how to live. I'm an American, America. You know what I mean? Like, don't tell me how to live my life. But at the end of the day, the sign of a God-changed person the sign of a person who has humbly submitted themselves to God is they've made the decision to like and to enjoy the correction of God. Why? Because the path of God always leads to God's best and his blessing. My path and your path, listen, what are the things you've done in your life on your own outside of the will of God that has done anything but lead you to devastation? This is what I call a space-making message. This is the kind of message that people are like, yeah, I'm gonna find a new church. But it's true. At the end of the day, God's word has the final word. Number three, we need to have gratitude and humility, but also we need to have hunger, hunger for the word of God. A few weeks ago, as we were kind of getting into this busy season of church, I knew that I needed to do some prayer and fasting. So for five days, I didn't eat anything, nothing but water to drink, no food for five days. And here's how fasting works. Day one, you're hungry. Day two, you're hungry and you're angry. Day three and four are fine. Like when you keep going, and really as long as you go, it, it, you stop being hungry at some point, but then the moment you think about eating again, all of a sudden hunger, it, it overtakes you. It's hard to explain. And I was at the end of day four and on going into day five, I thought, you know what? I'm gonna eat dinner tonight. That'll be five days. I'll be good to go. And so experts say that when you break a long fast, you should take some time and ease back into eating. But we were going to Culver's that night for dinner, everybody. And, and so I knew I was gonna eat. And then one of my kids ordered ice cream, but they'd already had some dessert at lunch. And so I ate their ice cream on the way home because I couldn't wait. Like I just, I was so hungry. And I think to myself, how incredible would it be if every day you and I had that same sort of desire, that drive to get into the word of God, to hear the voice of God. James, the last two verses come from James. I love this, James 1, 22 through 25. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. This is what a lot of Christians do. A lot of Christians are really good at coming to church, punching the God card and feeling like, I did it. I heard God's word and we go home and we live like none of it even happened. 
We don't apply it to our lives. I get, I get a lot of frustration from Christians when I say things like, depth isn't about what you know. Depth is about what you do. People get all frustrated by that. They're like, well, we want a deep church. How about you do the stuff you know God's already asked you to do? Like become the kind of person he's invited you to become. And again, I'll say this over and over again. I can spin your head with information and knowledge. We can do that game. But if it doesn't lead to life change, if you just learn a lot of stuff and you don't change in any way, what good is any of it? He says again, don't merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Here's what I want you to do. Four words, do what it says. Don't just listen, but actually do it. And then he says this, anyone who listens. Next, next slide. Anyone who listens to the word, but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in all they do. I wanna pause here and say this. This is the finish line for God. He wants you to walk in his blessing. He, he wants you to live a blessed kind of life, the kind of life that doesn't lead to a trail of devastation. Why does God have rules? Because he loves you. Why does God have standards? Because he wants you to be blessed. Why does God ask you to do some stuff that feels contrary to the ways of this world? Because the ways of this world lead directly to the place of hell. But God knows that there is a path towards righteousness. There is a path towards becoming more like Jesus. And on that path, you experience the blessing of God. Your father knows better than you, so do what your father says. Then he uses this analogy. He says people who like know the word of God, they've heard it, but they don't do anything with it, are like people who look in a mirror and they forget what they look like. Let me add this. I love the mirror analogy. I think a lot of Christians make the mistake of treating scripture like a window. It's a window that we look through at other people and we judge other people. Oh, they shouldn't do that. Oh, they're sinning. Oh, they got issues. They got jealousy and greed. They got all kinds of, they're liars. We judge other people, but scripture was never meant to be a window that you judge others. It was meant to be a mirror that you look back at yourself and you change as a result of it. Let me say it like this. In 2020, um, it was rough on every possible level, but one dumb reason 2020 was dumb is all of, all of the hair, Barbers shut down. Like, and so I get my hair cut every three or four weeks and my barber shut down and like months had gone by and I had this fluffy thing, like a mane going on just everywhere. And every time I would walk by a mirror, I'd go, oh, like it's, it scared me because I didn't look like myself. At one point I got so desperate that I decided to cut my own hair and I did it and I thought, that's not bad. I got this, I did this, I'm, I'm a pro, I got this. I took a selfie and I sent it to my barber and he sent back five words, I'll fix it for you. I was like, I didn't even ask for your opinion, whatever. But every time I would see myself in the mirror, I would be shocked because I didn't look like me. I didn't look like myself. And here's what a lot of Christians do. A lot of Christians read the Bible and like looking at a mirror and not changing as a result of it, they literally go their separate ways and they pretend that nothing that they read has any impact or influence on their life. How incredible would it be if you and I made this decision to be people changed by the word of God? People whose whole identity is found in the word of God. The kind of people who make the decision that God's word has the final word. And if you have an opinion that doesn't align with scripture, you're wrong. God's word is the ultimate authority. God's word has the final word. Look, 
Like we've been talking in the series, what, what do you do with doubt in God? And what do you do when you feel stuck by something? And, and what do you do when you struggle with the concept that God is our father? Because you had a bad, broken picture of a father here on earth. We've talked about that these last four weeks. But today, I could go into this message and try to prove to you that the Bible's real. But the greatest indicator that the Bible is actually real and alive is when you allow it to change your life. So how incredible would it be? How incredible would it be if all of us just made this decision that from this day forward, for one year, October 2nd to October 2nd next year, we're gonna be people of the word. Every single day, the way you're hungry and you take care of yourself by feeding yourself, we're gonna be hungry for the word of God. And every day, we're gonna go to God with gratitude. God, thank you that you speak to me. You speak to me every day through your word. And after that, we're gonna go to him humbly and say, God, at the end of the day, I have an opinion, but none of it matters. Your word has the final word. So I surrender to you. Here's my promise. If you'll do those things, you will experience what James says in James 1.25, and you will walk in the blessing of God. Can I say this to you? That's what I want for you. I don't want you to be weighed down with more rules, laws, and regulations. I want you to experience the freedom that comes from walking in the blessing of God. So would you do this? Would you bow your head and close your eyes all across this room? Let's pray together now. God, this is one of those messages that's way easier to talk about than it is to do. We live in a culture that exalts our opinion above the opinion of everyone else. God, for those of us who have exalted our opinion over yours, we ask you for your forgiveness. May we rightfully reseat you on the throne of our heart, the ultimate authority, the ultimate one who's in charge. It's you and it is not us. So God, some of us need forgiveness. Others of us just need a reminder today that your word has the final word. So may we approach your word with gratitude. Thank you that you speak to us every single day through your word. May we approach your word with humility. You're in charge, we are not. Our opinions don't matter, yours is what matters. And may we approach it with hunger, which means, God, we're hungry for the things that are from you. So speak to us, change us. May we leave today change because we're not just people who hear your word and do nothing with it. We're people who put your word into action. So we thank you for it, God. May our lives be founded upon the rock that is your word.